You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to Sprott Money News, SprottMoney.com. It is February 2022, and it is time for your monthly Ask the Expert segment. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is a new guest, Peter Bookvar. Peter is the Chief Investment Officer of Bleakley Advisory Group. He's also the editor of The Book Report, which you can find and sign up for at bookreport.com. But there's a C in there, B-O-O-C-K, report.com. Peter, a frequent contributor in financial media, financial television, and uh, really a treat to get a chance to uh, visit with him and have him answer a few of your questions. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining me this month. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate having me. It's great to make your acquaintance and great to visit with you. And before we get started, that usual reminder, uh, it is Sprott Money that puts out this content. And if you want to thank Sprott Money uh, for this content, the easiest thing you can do is give them a subscribe or a like on whichever channel you enjoy this, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or whatever. Uh, Give us a like or a subscribe. That'll help us cast a wider net. And also, anytime you want to be notified of new content that Sprott Money puts out, you can go to SprottMoney.com and register for the free email newsletter. Just add your email address and you'll get an email every time uh, something like this or a monthly wrap-up or uh, our monthly precious metals projections. Anytime that gets posted, you won't miss any of it if you sign up for the newsletter. So again, you can do that at SprottMoney.com. All right, Peter, we have uh, been soliciting questions for you from Sprott Money customers and from online. I've got a list of six questions. If you're ready, can I dig into the first one? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, my friend, this one, uh, this is right out of the headlines, I suppose. We just last week got our latest update on consumer prices in the U.S. I think we all know now it's not transitory. Um, this question gets more to the, the guts of the matter. Is this? Do you think the CPI is an accurate measure of U.S. price inflation? And uh, if not, what do you think the actual inflation rate actually is? Well, it, it's, it's not accurate for a couple of reasons. And the biggest reason is it's not fully capturing uh, the rental component or you can call it the housing component. Uh, rents make up about 30% of CPI and 40% of the core. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics is really dragging their feet and really capturing reality. Uh, you had core logic the other day that said that um, rents in 2021, so a combination of new lease rents and renewal rent rates of existing of an, of an expiring lease with prices up about 10%, uh, you had apartment lists said that new leases in 2021, we're up about 18%. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics is telling us that rents are up about three and a half percent year over year. Hmm. So if you threw in a double digit rent number in CPI, overall CPI would be about 10%. So from that perspective, it's not accurately capturing inflation. And then you can get into a whole discussion about hedonic adjustments and so on and so on. Uh, and everyone can quibble with it, but um, I'll stick. I'll stop with the housing one because I, I can't necessarily quantify the hedonic adjustment thing, even though it definitely understates the level of inflation. Yeah, it, it makes me think of, I guess, kind of a follow up. Uh, one of the things I track is real interest rates, 
uh, and the Fed's history of trying to keep real interest rates negative as a way of managing the debt. Um, do you think that's even in this regime of hiking rates, do you think that's a, a valid idea of where they're headed? Well, it was negative real interest rates that, that it helped to encourage all this debt. And then because of all the debt that gets created, that they, then they are then trapped to stay in negative real interest rates. So it's, uh, it's, it goes even deeper than that. But um, we'll, 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 we'll see how far they can get and where, how less negative real rates will get because uh, it won't be a while that we'll see uh, at least zero real rates. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to question number two. Uh, this isn't really a precious metals question, but just the equities in general, I guess, and gets to your expertise as a chief investment officer. Um, obviously, stock markets had a great run, no matter how you measure it, one year, two years, five years, whatever, with all this liquidity. Can the stock market keep rallying, though, even if the Fed goes on this uh, tightening and rate hiking regime? Well, if we look at what are the two main drivers of stock prices, one is obviously the earnings level and trajectory and speed of it. And then the other is what's the right multiple to put on that earnings stream. And what we've started to see last year with a lot of big high flyers, uh, that valuations now matter. And a lot of it has to do with, with the changing monetary policy. Uh, it started to matter last year because that's when the market started to sniff out that okay, the Fed is now talking about tapering and then they started tapering and now we're going to end QE and shift to QT and raise rates and all of a sudden multiples matter to people. So you have this multiple compression, which weighs on stock prices if it's not offset by faster uh, earnings growth. And now you have the likelihood of an economic slowdown in response to higher interest rates, inflation and monetary tightening. So you have now stock prices getting hit in both directions. So um, I'd have to believe that we're going to see a decline in earnings estimates and continued multiple compression, which equals lower stock prices. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, that actually tees up question number three pretty well, Peter. So nice work. Um, I, one of the things I've on my site we've talked about since she's right after COVID got rolling back in the summer of 2020, it always seemed to me that some level of stagflation was a likely result, you know, you, coming back to the economy and people not going back fully to work, you know, and all of the, uh, the Fed policies to try to keep, uh, like QE, to try to keep the economy going. Kind of see we're headed in that direction. And that was actually what the third question ended up being. Um, lots shorter than what I just laid out. <laughs> Is the U.S. headed into a 1970s style stagflation? Well, it'll be a, a version of stagflation uh, where you have slowing growth and still sticky inflation. Now, the inflation rate, which printed 7.5% for January, starting in March and April, the rate of change is going to slow. The question then is, does it slow, how quickly does it get back to the pre-COVID range of 1 to 2? And does it instead settle out at something higher more sustainably at around three to four. I think three to four is likely at the same time growth is going to slow. So to me, that that is a stagflationary type combination uh, that we are in and, and, and heading for 
you know, in a, in a more pronounced way uh, this year, even though, like I said, the rate of change on inflation is going to slow, but growth is going to slow at the same time while inflation, historically speaking, will still be elevated. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think that is kind of a common idea at this point, too. I mean, can we all kind of see that coming? I wonder what do you think? Are you in this kind of policy error camp, you know, where people talk about the Fed's going to hike only just to turn around and start cutting rates uh, next year? Well, the, the error has already been made by all the world's central banks, and that was keeping policy too easy for too long yeah. and doing all this QE. So the policy rate's already taken place. It, it, it's, it's, um, and, and the inflation is obviously out of the bag. So uh, n- now, <laughs> now it's, um, you know, so when you talk about a mistake, it's, it, that, that's already done. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's, what, that's what the world we're in. We're, we're, we are no longer in, and we haven't been for, for the last couple of decades, we're no longer in standard economic cycles. We're in credit cycles. We're in credit cycles that ebb and flow with the cost of capital and then translates to how much debt uh, we, can, we can accumulate. So when the cost of capital goes up and monetary tightening takes place, growth inevitably slows. You can't separate out the two. Right. Right. Okay. Well, hey, we're having so much fun. We're already halfway done, Peter. Um, this one going to go off in a little different direction uh, for question number four. Uh, as we record this, this is uh, the 17th. I think it was just yesterday, crude oil hit 95, which was just remarkable. Um, still over 90. Uh, what's driving crude oil prices higher and how high can it go? Well, the main, the main backdrop is a, a world that is getting past COVID uh, and, and a large part of the world. We still, have, have China, we still need China to uh, accept that fact that uh, you, you, you don't end COVID by shutting down. Uh, and, and once they realize that, which I think they're coming to that uh, realization, then you'll get even more demand for, for, for crude oil. At the same time, you've had uh, obviously a more subdued pace of, of investment where a lot of the big oil companies around the world are just keeping investments flat. And um, I, I think that leads to higher prices. Now, on one hand, I mentioned China fully opening up at some point that will increase the demand. On the other hand, if you go into a, a recession in the U.S. and other parts, then that will reduce demand. But at least on the supply side, uh, you're not getting your historical response to higher prices, which means that we're going to see sustainably higher prices. And that while oil can easily correct to seventy to eighty dollars, um, we will make a higher low on any pullback uh, with odds ever increasing that uh, we'll be seeing over $100 uh, for a period of time. Well, that would certainly seem to add to that policy error stuff, right? Uh, with energy costs soaring like that? Well, it just, just adds to the problem that the Fed and other central banks have put themselves in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I read an article today on, is the ECB going to make a policy error? And I'm thinking, well, they made the policy error back in 2014 by going to negative interest rates. Yeah, uh, that was the policy error, uh, and then they compounded it by keeping it there for almost eight years. Yeah, <laughs> let's see where they go from here. All right, uh, let's go to question five. This is kind of, I guess, a big picture question that was sent in, Peter. Um, what happens? Maybe we should say if, not when, but what happens when confidence is finally lost in the U.S. dollar? 
uh, as I guess world reserve currency maybe is what this is about. Um, does a gold standard or some type of sound money system return? Well, confidence is going to be lost in many different currencies. Obviously, the dollar, if it were to happen, would be the highest profile. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how the Fed plays its hand here uh, with respect to inflation and where they take policy. Uh, do we go back to some standard? Maybe. It, it certainly won't be a gold standard, but maybe a commodity-based standard. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is all just theoretical pontification rather than, you know, something that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, we're on this new currency regime now for, you know, 50 plus years since we went off it. And uh, you're not going to so quickly shift back. But there's no question that the current regime is going to get well tested here over the next couple of years with, with the pace of inflation uh, being um, where it is, even though it'll, it'll moderate um, in the context of still zero rates, negative rates, and these massive central bank balance sheets. What do you think, Peter, this idea of, you know, like currently in the, the crisis around Ukraine and, and uh, the U.S., imposing sanctions and, and Russia grumbling about, you know, maybe getting kicked out of SWIFT and a uh, growing alliance with China. Do you think regional alternatives could rise to the dollar, uh, you know, uh, that we haven't seen yet? Something, I don't know, some kind of combination, some new kind of Eastern-based financial system? Well, it's already beginning to happen. Uh, I mean, Russia and China are, are trading oil in euros. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's some trading in, in yuan as well. You have China that's obviously pushing a central bank digital currency, which would completely turn upside down the global um, you know, currency markets and, and, and have the world less reliant on the US dollar as well. So a lot of this transition is definitely in motion. And um, Will, will only continue. I mean, even just from a, a central bank currency reserve standpoint, you know, the dollar has lost market share and uh, will likely continue to do so. Mm -hmm. All right, Peter, I got one last question and finally deals uh, with gold and silver. Um, and it's just simply, I, I mean, do you own any gold and silver? Do you have a forecast uh, for gold and silver prices by year end? And then within the money that you manage, you own any mining shares? So for clients and myself, we have a, a pretty big position in precious metals, uh, pretty much gold and silver, not the others. And uh, we do also own miners, and uh, as I do myself. And uh, I, I, I couldn't be more bullish on the space. Uh, obviously, 2021 was pretty disappointing, considering uh, the inflation rate we saw. I entered 2021 believing we were going to see higher, much higher inflation. So I was right on that, but certainly wrong on the performance of gold and silver. But I think that came in the context of a, a very good 2020 and the market's belief that either inflation was not transitory, uh, I'm sorry, was transitory, which pro was proven wrong, of course. Uh, and if it's not transitory, well, the Fed would come to the rescue and they would quickly tamp down on inflation and everything would be fine. And I think people are realizing, well, that's unlikely too. And that um, what the Fed is going to do is tighten us into a recession, which will then have them stop tightening, probably at a rate well below the rate of inflation, and that negative real interest rates will remain with us for a long time. And that um, once the Fed stops 
uh, raising rates below the rate of inflation, that will then sacrifice the dollar, which would also be the second kicker for gold and silver. So I think gold and silver bottomed in uh, the day after the December Fed meeting, when uh, ironically, they said that they're quickening the pace of tapering. uh, Because I think, again, people started to shift their attention to uh, what this is all going is what this all is all going to mean for markets in the economy, uh, and and it would mean very little for for inflation because even if the Fed raises five times this year or six times, uh, they would still have that 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 Fed funds rate below the rate of inflation, and that's why the bond market thinks the Fed will be done by one and three quarters two percent. And as as we've seen over the past forty years, every rate hiking cycle takes that terminal rate below the rate at which it peaked in the prior cycle. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's what gold and silver is sniffing out here. Yeah. How about the mining shares? Just one last thing. I, uh, as we record, I think it was just yesterday, Barrick had a pretty good report, but man, it, they've had a tough deal with margins getting squeezed uh, over the last 12 months or so. Do you, what do you think of the mining shares as, a, uh, as an investment? They had a good report. They announced uh, stock buyback. I think a lot of companies are generating a ton of cash, especially when all unsustainable costs are probably a thousand to twelve hundred. And no question, the, there's been pressure there. But uh, now that you have gold prices and even silver with it rising, uh, a lot of these producers are going to make a lot of money, and uh, they're dirt cheap, and they've been left for dead. No one cares about them, and uh, that's the time when you want to start investing. Uh, and now I say now's the time. I mean, I, I've been in these things for the last couple of years, so I've been yeah. logging the miners along. But, um, you know, when you think about gold at just about 1900 here, uh, a way to look at it is that it's only about $100 plus from a 5,000-year high. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. And again, you, you mentioned sentiment. That certainly uh, hit, seemed to hit rock bottom. It may still be pretty close, maybe just an inch off of the bottom at this point. And that's... Uh, that's usually a good sign, too. Again, we've yeah. been speaking with Peter Bookvar, who is the chief investment officer of Bleakley Advisory Group. But he's also the editor of his own newsletter called The Book Report. Peter, tell everybody a little bit about that and where they can find out more information uh, on your newsletter. So The Book Report is just a, a subscription-based newsletter where I write daily missives on the, the macroeconomic and market outlook, give my opinions on things, also give ideas uh, when I feel the time is right and uh, it's, it's synced, it's quick, doesn't waste people's time. And uh, my subscribers know that the only time they get an email from me is when there's something important to say. And then on the money management side, they can go to bleakly.com if they're interested in wealth management services. Terrific. Terrific. And again, just a reminder, uh, this is all brought to you by sprotmoney.com. Uh, if you agree with uh, Peter and I and think that the precious metals are uh, sure at least have a place in your portfolio, visit SprottMoney.com. Always have great deals on uh, bullion, but also bullion storage. Just go to the website, SprottMoney.com, or of course, just pick up the phone and you can talk to an actual human being to help you out. That number is 888-861-0775. Peter, thank you so much for your time. It's very good to make your acquaintance and you've certainly had some great information to share with us. I really appreciate getting the opportunity to be on, and it was uh, was some good questions there. Well, thank you. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. We'll have another Ask the Experts segment for you in March.